Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change. We do not care whether the cat is black or white, as long as it can catch mice. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. No matter what you look at, if you look at it closely enough, you are involved in the entire universe. Is a quote from the British scientist and inventor whose legacy contributed significantly to the second industrial revolution, Michael Faraday. I thought this was an appropriate quote for our guest today. At a time when humanity has never been more connected, at the precipice of a new technological revolution, ushering in the fourth industrial revolution. Our guest today, dialing in from the United States, is Temi Irwin, Chief Executive Officer of Verizon Business. Managing $32 billion of revenue, employing 26,000 people across 50 countries, serving customers from 150 countries. As part of one of the largest communication technology companies in the world, Verizon Business is paving the way into a new 5G era of technology-led disruption and innovation. Having started on the front line, Temi has gone on to hold senior leadership positions within the group. She also currently serves on the boards of Deere & Company, Verizon Foundation, and the Board of Trustees of the Paley Media Center. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you can apply to your own life. For our first-time listeners and followers from all over the world, please don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And for our listeners in Thailand, Mexico and Hungary, a big hello. I am your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blenheim Partners, the number one research-led executive search and board advisory firm. In today's episode, Temi, regarded as Verizon's Velvet Hammer, gives us an insight into what it truly means to be customer-centric, a key tenet among many in her impressive rise in the ranks within one of the largest companies in the world. She brings to the fore the endless opportunities on offer, tapping into the cutting edge capabilities at our fingertips, from 5G and edge computing to artificial intelligence, big data, and 6G to address the challenges we as individuals, companies, and societies face in the relentless pursuit of improvement to move the world forward. So sit back and enjoy moving the world forward. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. You have stated that people have referred to you as the Velvet Hammer. Why is this so? Yeah, let's jump right into it. I love it. Thank you. I, I That's a title I earned many years ago, and I actually wear it with a fair amount of pride. It describes, I think, my leadership style in a very effective fashion. I have a belief that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Uh, and yet I think that the demonstration of compassion, kindness, and caring about your employees doesn't need to be confused with low standards. I have a very high set of standards and expectations for myself and for my team around delivery of results. And so that's the hammer part, which is bring down the hammer, deliver the results. But the velvet is at the end of the day, we're people. And how do we show compassion and kindness and wrap that hammer with the velvet and show kindness and compassion for others as we go about our daily lives? Hard to balance to do that? Hard to balance to do that. And yet I do believe at the end of the day, people are more effective in a work environment when you demonstrate you care about them and you care about their families. One of the principles I learned early on is if you demonstrate to your people that you genuinely care about them and the people that support them, they'll run the extra mile for the mission of the business. And so difficult to balance, yes. Critical, absolutely. Has things changed with the new generation coming through from your perspective? Do you have to lead differently? I actually think it's become more important to this next generation. Uh, This next generation cares deeply, I think, for society and for caring for people around them and accepting and embracing the differences that we find in our lives. And I think particularly post-COVID, and I shouldn't say post-COVID because we're all learning to live with COVID. It's not post-COVID. But I think there's a greater expectation that we demonstrate compassion and kindness and respect and inclusion for people. And I think this next generation is going to make decisions about where they work and who they work for as a result of how they're treated. Where did you grow up, Timmy? I grew up an hour north of Seattle. I grew up on a farm. My uh, father was a family practice physician, but he wanted to be a farmer. And so I grew up in the beautiful Northwest part of the U.S. Who inspired you? Yeah, my father was a huge inspiration in my life, not only an inspiration, but a huge supporter. As I said, my father was a physician, wanted to be a farmer. He cared genuinely for everyone in his community. He didn't feel like his role as a physician made him any better than anybody else. It just was the role he played within society. And watching his work ethic, he had an incredible work ethic, watching the way he operated with integrity watching the respect in which he treated everybody, it was hugely impactful to me. And it it has really shaped and defined who I am. Uh, And he taught me to believe that I could do anything, but it started with hard work and learning to have the work ethic that said, if if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Um, And he probably instilled in me the perfectionist gene that I have, which is like, if you're going to do it, do it right. And uh, he was really a, an incredible inspiration in my life. He didn't quite make it as a farmer. Did he ever cross the, uh, the other side of the road and become a farmer later on in life? I would call it a gentleman's farm. Okay. Um, we had 10 acres and I went through 4-H and raised animals and we had big gardens. And in fact, today I have the privilege of sitting on the John Deere board. And I really attribute that back to my roots of growing up in a farming and an ag community. Exposure to technology. Did you get a lot of that when you were growing up? I had very limited exposure to that growing up. I was in a small rural community, but my love for technology actually came from time that I spent working in my father's family practice 
I would intern there during the summers and we were very involved and I'll kind of age myself because when I was first working there, everything was a manual charge. You made manual notes on the charts, you filed lab results, you, everything was billed manually. And one of my first big tech projects was converting that office from an analog office to a digital office. And out of that was really born this incredible enthusiasm for me about how you transform the way work is done. Mm -hmm. And it really came from that opportunity. And that was my first real exposure. And then after college, I moved down to the Silicon Valley. It was just becoming the Silicon Valley and had a much broader exposure than to technology and what was happening in technology and really how it was transforming the world. Nothing like it is today, but uh, certainly uh, that's where I think my love of transformation came from. And I can ask you about education. What are your thoughts regarding education? I think education is really important, but I think there are a couple of things that are critical to education. Number one is I think being a continuous learner is the most important part of education. We are going to live to be 80, 90, 100 years old. There's a statistic right now that kids that are 10 younger will live to be 100. And so we have to be this continuous learner and student to the business. And so I think the ability to learn every day uh, becomes critically important. The second thing I think is really important is a four-year college is not the only way for people to be educated. And being educated in a trade, I think, is very, very important. Uh, Creating a learning environment where people can define something that they're passionate about, define a purpose, and be good at what they do is what I think education is really all about. Timmy, were you always confident? No, I, I I would tell you I've become more confident over the years. Uh, and I'll share a funny story with you. Uh, I took Dale Carnegie classes. I don't know if that means anything yeah, to yeah. you, but yep. I was petrified to, to speak in public. <laughs> uh, and I had a boss who one time said to me, you need to be a little more confident. And I'm like, okay. And so I've learned that over the years. Uh, and sometimes I have to fake it. And sometimes you have to pretend you're more confident than you are. When did you join Verizon? I joined Verizon in 1987. It was one of the Bell operating companies at the time. It wasn't called Verizon. It was US West mm-hmm. almost 35 years ago. And what's the reputation of the brand builder? How did that come about and what did you achieve? So when I think about our brand at Verizon, we built a brand on trust and innovation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a powerful brand because it gives us the ability to establish great relationships with our customers. And quite frankly, all four of our stakeholders, our customers, our employees, our shareholders, and society at large. So I think that brand is so critically important. So can you just sort of talk to the audience about the scale of Verizon and also in your role as a CEO, what you've got oversight of? Verizon has a worldwide presence. Uh, We are most known for our wireless business here in the U.S. And I would argue the best wireless network performance anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've led the world to the deployment of 5G, which is transformational in terms of 5G mobility, fixed wireless access, how we think about mobile edge computing, really the 21st century infrastructure. We have 135,000 employees around the world. I have the pleasure and and, uh, the opportunity to manage $32 billion of our overall revenue as part of the B2B practice. I have employees in 50 countries. We serve customers in 150 countries. And so the presence of being able to really be a partner of choice for our customers around the world is really what Verizon stands for. But our, our purpose is very clearly defined. 
We create the networks that move the world forward. And I love that because it's not just about the physical networks. It's about the networks of people, the networks of partners, the networks of employees. And I think so succinctly that synthesizes how we think about who we are. We create the networks that move the world forward. One doesn't get to the top easily. Can you sort of share with us some of the part of the journey? What were the key achievements? And are you one to put your hand up and volunteer to take on the challenges? How does one get to the top of this organization of that scale? Yeah, so I, I think a lot to kind of unpack there when you think about how do you get there. I, I think there are a couple of things that have been important in my success. Number one, I think operating under a set of core values, integrity, respect, performance, excellence, accountability, um, have been hallmarks of my leadership characteristics, and I think that's been important. Uh, do I volunteer? Yes, I volunteer and probably over-volunteer. Yep. I don't know that I've ever had a job description. And I know that sounds really weird, but <laughs> if I touch it, I own it. It's my responsibility. Right, okay. And I really have operated that way. I have also worked very hard to be a sponge and to learn every single day about something about the business, be reflective about what I did well the day before and what I can do better the day before. Uh, the next day, we have we have a saying within Verizon, there's always a higher gear. Mm -hmm. Our best was good for today. Tomorrow, we will do better. Uh, so it's this relentless pursuit of improvement on behalf of our stakeholders. And I would tell you that I, I've also been really lucky to work with some great people along the way, some colleagues who have invested in my support, some mentors and sponsors and board of advisors who've been willing to say, I will I'll give you the tough feedback when you need the tough feedback. I'll give you the confidence and the support when you need somebody to cheer you on, and I'll make an investment in you to continue to grow you as a leader. Is there any particular strengths out of your suite or strengths that you have that really stands you out? Is it your ability to cut through and understand the customer is your ability to communicate over and above that everybody understands the message. Is it to understand the numbers behind a PL? What stands you out? Yeah, I, I think there's several things. Uh, my very first job at Verizon was as a customer service rep. And I share that because it anchors me every day to two things. Number one, everything we do is, is important because of the customer. And secondly, our frontline employees are so essential to the success of our brand. And so I think one of the things that's a hallmark for my leadership is my belief that if you're not serving the customer, you're serving those who are. And people would tell you I'm very approachable. I bring people in as part of the team. We have a common mission and we run together. And people would describe me as a player's coach. And really being there to show up on behalf of the team and advocate for the team and lean in and really enable the team to be successful. So I think it's core values. I think it's hard work. I think it's the belief that everybody matters and it's a clear view of what the mission is and then a relentless pursuit of winning. I'm sick to death of hearing the word customer-centric focus. From your background, what does it actually seriously mean? I think it means that Every customer that we serve yes. deserves our respect and they deserve the value for what they acquire from us. And 
every day I'm involved with customers and I view it as my responsibility to serve customers. And if there's a problem and a customer escalates, I view it as my responsibility to say what tool, what training, what process was wrong that my frontline employee didn't have the ability to solve that problem. Because at the end of the day, the customer pays us great money for the products and services that we offer. It is our responsibility to deliver and go above and beyond what they expect. And so customer centricity is knowing what your customers require and consistently delivering that and going above and beyond to wow them because they've made a good choice and they're spending good money with you. And then it's always anticipating what they might need next. So as we think about Verizon going from 4G to 5G, you lead the world to 5G. Why? Because your customers demand it and expect it. So knowing what customers expect, delivering on it, and then anticipating what's next on behalf of your customers, for me, is what customer centricity is about. Well, just on that theme, Tammy, what is next? Yes. So I believe what's next, I think we're entering the fourth industrial revolution I think we're changing and building the 21st century infrastructure. The 21st century infrastructure will be about broadband. It'll be about mobility. It'll be about edge compute, AI, big data, computer vision. Um, And I really think that's what's next is the ability to take all the applications and solutions that we use today in front of a PC and have those be seamless anywhere in the world with not just fast speed and throughput, but low latency capability, power capability that we haven't imagined, sensor densification. There's just so much that is happening to radically change industrial and commercial use cases that I think is super exciting. This is not as much about a consumer revolution as it is about businesses radically transforming how they serve their customers. So is it going to affect all business in particular? Are those going to benefit faster than others? How does Verizon roll this out? Yeah, I think everybody will ultimately benefit it, but there's some early adapters. You think about gaming, you think about manufacturing, you think about real-time enterprise information, you think about healthcare, you think about education. So there's some verticals that are early adopters to say, how can I use real-time enterprise information? How can I use edge compute? How can I change the retail shopping experience? I believe in the future, I won't walk into a retail shopping experience and have to change my clothes and try something on. I'll have a, a, a virtual me and I'll be able to do that because of the power of technology. I won't sit in a doctor's office sick again because biometrics will allow my physician to diagnose me and treat me remotely. My kids will have access to education where they're not turning the pages on a book. They'll have the ability to be in the environment. Think about reading about the Colosseum in Rome as opposed to being immersed in the Colosseum in Rome. It's that kind of transformational change that I think is ahead of us. And how far away do you think that's going to be? I think it's happening right now. I'm seeing evidence of it today. Uh, in many, many examples. I'll give you one of my favorites. Uh, You think about driverless vehicles, and there's a lot of conversation about that. If you're in a 4G world today and you want clearance to the vehicle in front of you, because of the latency that's in, in the 4G network, your clearance will be four inches. In a 5G ecosystem, because your latency is sub 10 milliseconds, you're going to have four feet of clearance to the car in front of you. That's happening today. We're testing it. We're using it. We're working it. So all of those applications are actually in use today and are going to accelerate and scale very, very quickly. Technical question. What's the difference between 5G and 5G ultra wideband? 
Yeah, so 5G ultra wideband is really 5G built on millimeter wave spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it really has the full currency and capability of millimeter wave spectrum. So low latency, high speed throughput, network slicing, sensor densification. As you think about ultra wideband, we've also just acquired a tremendous nationwide swath of of C-band, which is mid-band spectrum. That will also be ultra wideband because it will carry the true characteristics of transformational network capabilities. Does it take Verizon from a telecom company ultimately moving towards a technology play in that regard, or do you still remain the same? Where do you see the business being in five years? At our core, we deliver connectivity, but we are transforming from being a telephone company to a technology company because what we're enabling and building for our customers is not just the connectivity but the platforms and the applications and solutions that will ride on that network that will really drive the kind of transformational change that we're seeing in the industry. So as a leader in this organization which is going through this major and significant change what type of people are you looking for to bring in these days? Looking for people that are curious people that want to drive change, people that are learners, uh, people that are committed to trying new things, learning from them, people have a sense of urgency about taking the moment in time, people that know how to partner with others. One of the things I think is so important in this transformation is we won't do it ourselves. It'll be with big partners like AWS that we've introduced Mobile Edge Compute with or Azure that we've introduced private Mobile Edge Compute. It'll be partnering to imagine and redefine what the future can be and then being really urgent about the delivery of that. How do you see the rollout or the future of, say, the likes for smart cities? Where is that going to go? Smart cities are going to be really, really interesting. I think, you know, even today, I'm going to give you an example that I think is illustrative of where smart cities go. As you begin to think about cities that are enabled with good 5G capability, it's a perfect scenario because you've got a dense community where you can have 5G ultra wideband. You have the ability to know if trash cans are full and they need to be picked up. You have the ability to have, uh, you know, understand and improve the security capability. You have driverless vehicles that have four inches of clearance. I think the transformational experience of cities is going to be really important. And then it will begin to tie to experiences that customers are having. So if you're in a city like New York and you're going out to watch a football stadium, it'll tell you where the parking's going to be. It will tell you how long the commute's going to be. It's going to give you your electronic ticket. It's going to give you immediate access into, into the stadium because you'll already be security cleared. It will really be about connecting you to everything you want to do in cities and then in experiential environments. Tammy, from looking across the globe, which countries are moving fast on 5G? Listen, we were first in the world to deploy 5G. So I'm going to tell you the U.S. is leaning in and and going fast. There's no question China is going fast. South Korea is going fast. Um, And then, you know, in some of the European markets where they have not gone as fast, we're working with some of those enterprises Uh, Automobiles is a great example of going even faster on private networks in a manufacturing and and, uh, warehouse environment. So it's finding the path to uh, solutions for customers where Spectrum becomes available. All right, I'm going to ask you a tough one. I'm dialing in all the way from Australia today, as you know. How are we going? 
I think Australia has a, listen, we are a great partner with Australia in terms of delivering technology and capability. It is a huge geography. Correct. And so it is a harder one to drive and enable. But what I know about my customers in, in Australia is they're embracing technology as key to enabling transformation in their businesses, particularly around security, around the things that are most important to the way the community lives, works, and plays. I think the deployment of 5G is slower there, but that's okay. They have great 4G, great network capability, and we certainly enable and deliver great security and application solutions that are important for, for our customers in Australia. They're, they're super important in terms of how we think about delivering capabilities today. So what's been your key learnings during the uh, the tough times of COVID? Yeah, I think a couple of key learnings. Number one is when COVID hit, we made a very clear decision that the single most important thing we could do is protect our employees yeah. and the safety and well-being of our employees. Once we made that decision, it was easy to then say, how do we serve our customers differently? And our customers had tremendous reliance on us for their core connectivity and how they transformed their business. So number one is having a clear set of priorities enabled us to act quickly and protect our employees. We did not furlough employees during this period of time. We kept our employees on, but our employees also gave back. They opened their homes and said, come on in and I'll work from home for the for a year. And they've done that beautifully. So having a clear set of priorities, really important. Uh, number two is we can be way more transformational than we could have ever imagined. If you'd have said to me, you need to send 30,000 employees to work from home, I would have said, it's impossible. But we proved in a week we could make it happen. And so the things that we might have thought were impossible, we've proven that real-time transformation can make them probable and we can accelerate the rate of change. And I think it's the thing that will stick with us is the accelerated rate of change of transformation because we've all proven we can do things we never thought we could do pre-COVID. And during COVID, did the business actually pick up market share? Was there an opportunity in, in some disguise? Yeah, we did very well at maintaining share and then stabilizing our share. But our real focus was how do we serve customers differently? Okay. How do we move networks from cities out to you know homes where people were serving? And so what we did well is we outperformed customers' expectations mm -hmm. with incredible network performance uh, and that customers could only imagine was possible. Think about working from home with that internet connection. I think the other thing that we learned during COVID is that we've got a digital divide that we have to solve for. Some people had great connectivity. Yep. Some people had no connectivity. And so for us, I think it reinforced and established the superior performance of our network, which is giving us the ability to continue to grow share as customers come back to a more a greater sense of normalcy. On the competitive landscape, how do you see the role or I guess the impact of the hyperscalers, Google's, Microsoft, Amazon, Alibaba, et cetera, impacting Verizon's business? Yeah, they've been really critical partners for us. So I think about them today as a key part of my success as okay. I look to deliver and enable success for my customers. Uh, we went to market with AWS uh, a year and a half ago now with yep. Mobile Edge Compute. We spent three years building that a critical partner, strategic partner that we couldn't have delivered that kind of capability without. Uh, same thing with Microsoft and Azure, their capabilities. So as I think about hyperscalers, I think there's a place where we'll compete. There's a place where we'll partner. Uh, and there's a place where, you know, there'll be a middle ground there. And what's critical to that is the commitment to communication, 
the commitment to integrity in the process and a commitment to a shared goal of where can we work together to unlock value for our customers that neither of us could do alone. And Tammy, with the recent, I guess, announcements by the current government's administration in terms of the enormous investment in infrastructure, that must be seen as an enormous opportunity for Verizon and what you tend to achieve. Yeah, so as we think about infrastructure, the investment in infrastructure broadly across the U.S. is only a good thing as we think about it. And I want to, you know, I'm not, there's all kinds of political ramifications, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, certainly infrastructure yep. build for any country is really important. We think it's important with infrastructure that we know how to build infrastructure. We're best at delivering and building infrastructure, how the government chooses to subsidize people who need subsidization of infrastructure is an important part of how that plays out in terms of unlocking and solving for the digital divide. Now, you've built a reputation for women in business program. Mm -hmm. What actually is that and what's been the key achievements? Yeah, so as I think about women in business, I think about what happened in the last year. We had more women fall out of business work environment than ever before. And what we know is that women on average spend 15 hours a week doing home responsibilities, whether it's educating kids or cooking or cleaning, uh, that their male, male colleagues do not. We have a number of critical women initiative, female initiatives, one of which I'm super proud of, which is Women of the World. Uh, it's a program that was built three years ago that I, I initiated when I saw a gap in terms of women's capabilities to compete in sales roles. Uh, it has now become a global program where it really helps women brand uh, who they are, define and declare what they want from a career standpoint, and lean in with confidence and know that they're as qualified as their male colleagues. They just need to declare what it is they want and ask for the, the opportunity. So really a successful program in moving women up and through through the organization. Uh, secondly, Women's CoLab is the ability to bring together all the programs that we've done on behalf of women, uh, programs around small businesses and how we support technology and infrastructure for small businesses, mm -hmm. how we educate and retrain the workforce around what's required to compete in a digital world. Um, and then really some of the programs that we've done around uh, in support of families, bringing all that together under a co lab environment so that we can share with other businesses and say, here's what's worked, here's programs that are available, and here's how you can scale them to really benefit women more broadly. Who are you seeing out there in, in, I guess, in the world of the entrepreneur? Are women taking a key lead in that space, Tammy? I think more and more women are showing up in entrepreneurial roles. Yeah. Um, and what, where we see the opportunity, particularly with small businesses mm. rebuilding, is how do you help women scale the opportunity? I think you're seeing more and more women go into finance and PE and support of yeah. helping women find funds to scale the opportunity. Women are great at entrepreneurial ideas. We know that employees trust female leaders more than they trust male leaders. So the ability for women to be great entrepreneurs and then scale into really scaling the size of the opportunity is important through the financing element. We're seeing more and more of that financing become available to women and minority-owned businesses. In your eyes and in your experience, what actually is leadership then? Yeah, leadership is about um, having a vision of what's possible and creating a team.
team and an environment that allows everybody to come together against that mission and really lean in and accomplish things that people never thought they could accomplish without having the clarity of leadership. Leaders manage in difficult times. They lead themselves, they lead their teams, they lead their industries, and they take people to places that people didn't think were possible. I think about COVID. There was no manual for COVID, but leadership allowed us to survive, thrive, and then redefine and reimagine. And leaders say, there's always a way. We'll find it and we'll do it by bringing people with us on that journey. As a leader, where do you spend your time? I spend a lot of my time in front of employees and a lot of my time in front of customers. I actually track my time so that I'm clear on where am I spending my time doing administrative things that don't matter? Where am I spending time on strategic thinking? Where am I spending time on operational delivery? And where am I spending time being a listener and a learner with my employees and with my customers? I've had to redefine what that looks like because I haven't been out in the field because of COVID. But I've created these sessions where I bring people together and we talk about different things that are on our minds. I've got a list of 300 people and I walk through that list and call three or four a day. Check in. How are you doing? How's your family doing? What's working? What's not working? Um, And so for me, it's about spending time with those people that are most important to your success. That's your employees, your customers, your shareholders. And then it's about having a broader view of understanding that you also need to spend time on societal issues. Uh, When I think about our fourth stakeholder we've talked about, it's not just about caring for customers, employees, and shareholders But our fourth stakeholder that sits at the table as a critical enabler to our long-term success is how we show up on behalf of society. How do we use technology to solve climate? How do we use technology and retrain the workforce? How do we use technology to change education so that we show up as a key enabler and key contributors to societal success, not just to shareholder success? And they're not just, that's just not words? Not just words. We have very defined programs. We call it Citizen Verizon and so many specifics of where we've thrown, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into these programs to find targets not only for today, but for 2025 and 2030. A declaration of being carbon neutral. We have a path to how we get there and we have declared milestones. We sit down and we review them. Stakeholder at the table is that as a a society is one of the most important things we've done. And it's one of the things that our this next generation of employees expects. They expect to show up and get to volunteer and participate in their their societies and their communities. And so being an employer who demonstrates that it's not about philanthropic giving, it's about using the power of technology to drive transformational change has been critically important. You've got to make some pretty big decisions during your during your day, I guess. How do you make decisions? How much is based on analysis and how much is based on now if experience gut instinct? Yeah, I think there's a balance. And I think the balance of urgency with facts and data is really important. Um, I surround myself with a team of people who are really knowledgeable and insightful. And I, I realize that the answer to many of those difficult questions sits in the room with the people that are around me. Yeah. And the probably the most important thing that I can do as a leader as I make decisions is be a good listener. Have I heard from everybody? Have I understood that there's more than one way to solve the problem? And when there is, it's my responsibility as a leader to make a decision, to act, and to move quickly. When you knock off at the end of the day and go home, 
Yeah. What does success look like to you or feel like to you? Success is the ability to have a little bit of separation from work. Listen, uh, when I now have adult children, but when my kids were at home and with my husband today, we try to have dinner as a family. It's not fancy, but it's dinner. We try to set the devices aside and just be present. Um, and sometimes that being present is only for 10 or 15 minutes, but it's also about taking the time to connect with the people that you love. The other thing that is really important, and sometimes I'm better at it than others, is taking the time for self-care. As a leader, I do a lot of things in my day. And yet if I don't take the time to take care of me, what am I doing to work out? Where am I taking some time to unwind and refresh? I love to bake and to cook. Where's my creative capability? If I don't put my own oxygen mask on first, I don't have the capacity and the capability to give back to all the people that rely on me. I'm blessed to have an incredible husband who's been my biggest supporter through, through my career and allowing him to do the things that he does so that I can do the things that I do. And yet realizing if I don't take care of myself, I have nothing left to give back to those that count on me every single day. So what's a typical day look like, Tammy? What time do you out of bed and what time are you in the office? Yeah, so I'm out of bed typically at five, five to five thirty. I try to get a workout in the morning. If I don't get a workout in the morning, it doesn't get done. The minute I get up, I check email. So I'm checking email before I get my workout in. So I kind of have a sense of what's happened. I run an international organization. So what happened in the you know seven hours I was sleeping and then get a workout in. When I get a workout in, I get to watch the news so I get a sense of what's happening in the world around me. And then I run pretty hard at work from seven o'clock till seven o'clock. I usually do a good 12 hour day, uh, come home and have chance to unwind and have dinner with my husband. And then I oftentimes say the only video game I play is email because I try to go to bed at night with every email cleared out because I realize that if I don't clear my emails, I've got a customer who might need me. I've got an employee who might need me. I've got a responsibility that I may be holding up. So how do I make sure that I clear that? And then how do I plan for tomorrow so that I can get a good night's sleep and then rinse and repeat the next day? And you got rules around uh, internal meetings? Are you are you vicious in regards to the times that you're allowed 15, 20 minutes and that's max? Or how do you operate? Because like you say, you run hard. I'd love to tell you that I've solved uh, the meeting dilemma. I haven't. There are oftentimes days when I have 15 or 16 Zoom or Blue Jeans meetings back to back to back to back. Wow. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's productive. Uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to is getting back out to the field where those meetings are face to face with people, where you're engaging and interacting, you're in the environment. I have declared meeting free Friday afternoons. Uh, my team said it will never work. So far, we've done a pretty good job of meeting free Friday afternoons because it does give me some thinking time. I need some time to pause and to think and to reflect on the week. What worked? What didn't work? What do we need to do differently? And then I need to, Saturday is my day to mm. kind of be. I do my best not to do a lot of check-in on Saturday. My phone is always with me. If somebody needs me in an emergency, they can get a hold of me. But I don't work on Saturday. That's my day to be. And then Sunday, I'm back at it, preparing and going. But Saturday is my dear day to clear my head and to be. Tammy, you're in the, one of the most competitive industries in the world. Mm -hmm. How does the organization and how do you have the edge or keep the edge? Is it R&D? Is it just bringing in new thinking? What's the DNA? to position you where you are and to make sure you're keeping that position and if, if anything, 
get that further advancement? Yeah, listen, I think everything we do has to be grounded to how did we perform the day before and how did we deliver on behalf of our customers? And when we know those things, then we can also then declare what has to be true as we build the future uh, requirements for customers. So as I think about building out, what does a customer require as a small business customer is radically different than a customer who's a global enterprise customer? How do I have clarity of what's required on the product capability? How do I assess and get feedback on how I perform today? So it's the constant cycle of how did I perform yesterday? What does a customer require today? And how am I building for tomorrow based on engagement and interaction with my customers and understanding the competitive landscape? And it's understanding the competitors you know, as well as the ones that you haven't even begun to imagine. And so it's staying ahead of and anchoring everything you do to customer requirements, to knowing your industry, and then having this drive to say, Whatever we do to deliver on behalf of customers is what will enable us to deliver on behalf of revenue and then driving costs out to enable continuous investment back in on behalf of the customer. So I guess to get to that point, you must have fairly frank and fearless discussions which rely very much on honesty. And it's balancing the where do I spend my time on operational detail, performance, inspection, and where do I have clarity of my strategy? Now, strategy and operational excellence are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And having clarity of what is your three-year strategy or five-year strategy and how does that tie back to your performance and results today? And then as new elements get introduced, continuing to pivot and validate your strategy We spend more time on strategy now than ever before because it's having a clear path of where we have to go tied to the performance of today because customers' requirements are changing faster than they've ever changed before. The competitive landscape is changing faster than it's ever changed before. And if you think about 4G versus 5G, you think about the 4G economy, we activated when we launched 4G. Who would have guessed Airbnb would come to life or Uber? Who who would have guessed we'd jump into a stranger's car? But our network capability unlocked that. As we think about 5G, it's about participating in that 5G economy, not just in providing the connectivity, but in unlocking the applications, solutions, and capabilities so that we participate in that 5G economy. 6G being worked on already? 6G is being talked about and worked on. Um, You don't deliver 6G without successfully delivering 5G. So there are certainly people who are worried about 6G. I'll tell you what I worry most about is making sure we have the spectrum Mm -hmm. to deliver. And we just bought billions of dollars of spectrum and nationwide swath of mid-band. I call it beachfront property on spectrum. We have spectrum for the next generation. We can build whatever we need to build on that. Winning today at 5G enables us to, with the spectrum we have, continue to win for generations to come. If you're winning in 5G, can you just, well, again, for the people out there, can you paint a picture? What is 6G going to look like then? And what's, how's that going to impact us in the next 10 years? I wouldn't even go there today. Yeah, really? What I would do is to say it's about taking the capability of 5G. 5G is not just about watching something faster yeah. or downloading yeah. something faster. It's about delivering transformational experiences that you couldn't deliver on 4G. It's about being able to sit in a stadium and create your own um, viewing experience of the game that's in front of you because you've got cameras customized to you. It's about the ability to have diagnostics that are done today that wouldn't be able to be done without 5G and low latency. It's about driverless vehicles that are safe. It's about immersive education experiences. And it's about building those capabilities today in a 5G ecosystem 
because of the power of the eight currencies. It's about low latency. It's about speed. It's about throughput. It's about sensor densification. It's about network slicing. Imagine a hospital that has mobile edge compute that allows them to do one thing for their clinicians, another for their patients, and another for visitors. It's about really curating a different experience because technology is there. Timmy, you mentioned a really interesting word that all the the phrase ecosystem. Yeah. An ecosystem is about being in the center of that system and playing your role. And I guess getting ownership of the client, right? So let's talk about the ecosystem for healthcare as an example. Yeah, please. Um, If you think about it, and it varies, I know, probably different in Australia than in the US, but with COVID, we opened up the ecosystem that said patients are willing to be seen via remote diagnostics. Physicians learned to use technology to see patients and to serve patients. Insurance companies decided they could pay. But now as I think about evolving that ecosystem, what a patient requires from technology is different than what the physician might require, different than what the insurance company might provide. But that broad ecosystem has to work together because if I can't see patient records that tie to insurance capability that tie to better patient care, then I don't have an ecosystem that accelerates the forward movement and progress of what technology can do, whether it's the you know healthcare system, whether it's educators. And one of the things that I'm most proud of is our 5G innovative learning program. Mm-hmm. where we provide technology to teachers, to students, but we also provide curriculum. And then we teach teachers how to use technology to change the education experience. We don't just put a tablet in front of them and say, good luck, use your same curriculum. It's about creating and changing the broad ecosystem so you drive the kind of transformational change that's important. You think about venues, going mm-hmm. to a game of football or yep. a soccer match, yep. all of a sudden you're there. You have low latency capability. You have the ability to have a customized view of the player that's in front of you. Why does that matter? Because now think about sports betting. Yes. Sports betting, now I have something you don't have because I have capability and technology and customization that transforms how I think about my in-venue experience, changes how people and what they do at the venue. So it's those kinds of transformational changes that are happening today in 5G because of the power and the currency and the capability of what 5G enables. We're a fairly conservative society, Australia, and one area that we've always been worried about is privacy. Mm -hmm. What should we be thinking about in regards to 5G? I think the security of your information has never been better. Okay. Now, there's a lot of bad actors who are always yep. going to do what they can. You know, we produce security products and security reporting, and we know that a lot of that security continues to be front and center for businesses and for consumers. But the 5G infrastructure is very secure. Here's what I would tell you: we have trust and innovation as our two brand pillars. We believe that the information that we know about you as a consumer belongs to you. And so privacy is is about the business decisions that businesses make about how they treat their customers. We've chosen to have privacy and innovation and trust as key enablers for us so that we protect the security of the information that our customers trust us with. Is it true that a gentleman by the name of Lau McAdam gave you a light bulb? He did. What's all that about? He gave me this light bulb many, many years ago, and it's dated November 7 of 2006. Okay. And it says on here, Tammy, for the first and only, I hope, 
light bulb. Now, what this was intended to be is you have to sweat the details up to and including, are there lights out in your store? And this sits as a reminder to me every single day that the little things matter when you think about how you serve your customers. And that was whole, the whole intent is as a leader, you have to sweat the small things while you care for the big things. He was an incredible mentor, continues to be an incredible friend. Big thing in leadership in Australia, we talk diversity. America talks a different form of diversity. What is diversity to you? Yeah, so diversity used to be representation. I think representation is no longer adequate. We need representation. I think true diversity is the sense of belonging. Do I belong at the table? So it's not enough to have representation, but I need to feel like I belong and that I'm valued for who I am and the contributions that I make. And so as I think about being a woman in in leadership, it's not enough to have one of me at the table. I need to have a voice at the table that is respected as my male colleagues' voice is respected. When I think about gender, when I think about age, when I think about race, when I think about experience, it's about embracing the things that make us different, valuing and respecting that we all have a different worldview because we have a different lived experience. And it's about creating an environment where people feel like they belong. So for me, diversity is about feeling like you're treated with equality and with respect and that you belong in the environment in which you're in. So why do you think Lau gave you that light bulb? What made him do it? I think he gave it to me as a leadership principle that said everything you do as a leader matters. 80% of what people believe about you will not be the words that you say. It will be the actions that you take. And it was a powerful reminder that leadership is all about actions. It's about creating and doing what you said you would do, not just saying the right thing. And I think for, for me, it was a powerful reminder that leadership happens in the moment and that as a leader, you cast a very wide shadow and people are paying attention to everything you do, including sweating the small things like whether the lights are on in the parking lot or not. So you've mentioned mentors. Are you proactive in that space yourself? I am. I spend a lot of time mentoring and developing talent. And I think there's a distinct difference between mentoring and sponsoring. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is inviting people to uh, have the conversation about development and about their uh, career goals and helping to enable and move them forward. Sponsorship is about taking the time to invest and not only sit in the room and give them feedback, but be committed to their development and sponsor their success. Um, and it's a space where I spend a lot of time. One of the things I've also learned is I can't be a mentor to everybody, yeah. but I can help make sure that everybody is assigned a mentor. So if somebody says, will you mentor me? And they're five levels down in the organization and I see them once a year, I'm not a good mentor to them. But if it's somebody who's at the VP level, who's trying to figure out their next step, I'm a great mentor because I have regular engagement and I can really provide a meaningful experience on how I mentor and provide them feedback and coaching. What's the next challenge for you, Timmy? Oh, the next challenge is always about making sure I win tomorrow. Listen, I have a belief that the score gets set to 0-0 every day. Is that right? And that every day as a leader, it's my responsibility to show up and deliver success for my team, for my shareholders, for my customers, and quite frankly, for society at large. And I think our biggest challenge will be as we continue to evolve as a society, making sure that we strike the balance between 
using technology to drive innovation and transformation, and at the same time, using innovation to drive societal good. And I love the fact that I'm at a point in my career where I can do both. It's about delivering great results. It's about winning every day, but it's about imagining and redefining and using technology to drive transformational change that's good, not just for shareholders, but good for society and the, and the world in which we live, work, and play. So have you got a global view, which you're very fortunate to have, are you concerned about elements of the world still in poverty and how the impact that you're going to bring going to help them move forward? Yeah, I think there's so many global challenges, whether it's poverty, whether it's education, whether it's climate change. And I believe that technology can be a great enabler. And I think it can be a great equalizer. And I think as you begin to have communities have access to technology, they have access to education. Yes. They have the ability to imagine and see and, and think about a world that's different than it looks today. Uh, I believe that technology will help us do some of the things that are hard to do today that will make life easier for others. And yet I think at the end of the day, one of the biggest challenges from a societal standpoint is how do we make sure everybody feels a sense of purpose and belonging? Because I believe so much of people's day-to-day, when you think about mental health, when you think about on a desire to feel like you belong and happiness, I think having a sense of purpose and creating an environment where everybody feels as though they belong, that they're accepted, and that they know what their place is in life, I think is so important. And so whether you start with early education and kids having access to information, whether you think about jobs and career training, whether you think about being a continuous learner in life, it's about creating an environment where people feel great about what they do and feel like they can contribute to the good of the communities in which they live, work, and play. And I think that we've got a tremendous opportunity to use tech to help solve a lot of those problems. Can I ask you something, Tammy? When you look back in your career, you didn't get everything right. Which was the best lesson you you received, which really made you wake up and say, right, I'm good at what I'm, I'm doing. I've, I've made a mistake here. I have an opportunity to shine. Yeah. I had a moment in my career where uh, I had a boss who gave me some pretty tough feedback. And my boss gave me the feedback that said, people don't want to work with you. They think you're too competitive. Oh, really? I didn't recognize competitiveness as part of my DNA. I now widely recognize it and own it. But I share that story because I've had to learn over the years to manage both my impact as well as my intention. And my intention in being competitive is I have a responsibility to deliver results and we're going to find a way to get it done and let's go. But my impact is people didn't feel like they were being brought along on that journey. And I think about that for me as something I still think about every single day, which is how do I as a leader take accountability and responsibility for what my intention is and then what my impact is. And I think if we all took time to care about not only what we thought we were doing, but how it came across to others, I think the world would be a better place. You sound very excited. But where the world is that? I'm an optimist. Um, the glass is half full for me. I think there's, you know, we control our ability to show up every day with the attitude in which we show up. And when we show up with an attitude of optimism, an attitude of can do, an, an attitude that says, we got this, life is a whole lot more fun. The way we're doing business now, is it smarter, quicker, easier than what it was pre-COVID? Has anything changed in that regard in the sense of engagement? 
I think we've learned a lot from COVID. I think we've learned that we can be virtual and we can engage in a different and meaningful way. We don't need to get on planes every time we need to be in front of a customer. We can have a little more balance in the pace in which we run. And yet we we won't continue to work the way we work forever. We're going to need to find the balance between, we call it work forward. What's the work forward hybrid environment that says, I can take the best of what I learned in COVID, but I don't have to be on 17 video conferences back to back to back to back to back either. And I also think in the hybrid environment, we're going to have to be really careful that in the environment in which we work today, everybody gets on a video call today. Everybody is treated the same way because everybody's in the same situation. When you have half of your employees back in the office and half on a video, it's going to all of a sudden be the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting and the meeting in the room. Yes. And we need to be really careful that as we create the environment of the future, that we take the best of what we've learned, we merge it with this expectation of involving everybody and find a different way to lead and manage in the engagements that we have. Some that will be virtual, some that will be hybrid, and some that will be face-to-face. If you look back at that young lady entering her career into the world of telecoms, what advice would you give her now? My biggest advice would be believe you can and declare what you want. Because I found my way and I've had an incredible career, but I didn't go into it saying I'd like to be the CEO at Verizon Business. I had some great experiences that enabled me to continue to grow and grow and grow and accelerate my growth. But if I had had the confidence I have now, 30 years ago, if I had known what I know now, I would have said, believe in yourself, lean in, and anything is possible. And I think it might have changed how I showed up. Now, I'm proud of where I am today, but I think for every woman that's out there, for every young adult that's coming out, it's believe in yourself, believe you can, and go run hard at what you want. Declare it. You're going to skin your knees. You're going to fall once in a while, dust off, get back up, but keep moving forward. But as you do it, bring others along with you, because at the end of the day, how we treat others is the most important thing in life. On that, Timmy, thank you very much for making the time today. Greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed the conversation. My best to you. You've been listening to No Limitations.